Whistleblowers push for change at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Where they're telling experienced physicians what they're allowed to write in their patient charts, that's unacceptable. Fraser Health's reaction to criticism, it's trying to keep emergency room doctors quiet. Delayed promises of better cancer care. The Interior Treatment Center promised three years ago and when it might finally be built. Plus, the Chinatown condo project that can't be killed. Why 105 Kiefer is getting a lot more support now. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are learning more tonight about some of the critical issues raised about patient care at Surrey Memorial Hospital and how emergency room doctors began noting staff shortages on patient charts to cover their own liability. And as Kamal Kuramali reports, that has become another point of contention with the Fraser Health Authority. With not enough physicians to provide adequate care and many patients left in limbo for up to three days, emergency doctors at Surrey Memorial Hospital say medical charts were an important record of transparency documenting the crisis in patient care. So they want to record it in the, in the chart to protect themselves. A majority of the physicians decided to include a progress note in patients' charts for very specific cases. Anytime resources issues might put a patient at risk. That note was obtained by Global News. It stated, our emergency department is dangerously congested and appropriate monitoring and staffing ratios are not being achieved. And a meaningful action plan does not exist for current congestion and we do not have a strategy to care for admitted and unattached patients. Those notes lasted from April 20th until the 26th. That's when ER doctors say Fraser Health stepped in, calling it inappropriate and unprofessional. Sources telling Global News it was two Fraser Health vice presidents who ordered them to stop. No wonder the group of physicians are worried about that, you know, they might you know, their job might be a stake. On April 27th, the Surrey Emergency Physicians Association wrote a response letter to Fraser Health leadership explaining 96% of ER doctors agreed to use the progress notes in patients' charts, stating the use of these notes was not from a rogue number of emergency physicians, but from an entire group. They should be allowed to do that because it's very important to protect their own liability. Every chart, patient chart, is a legal document. Fraser Health CEO says staffing issues can be noted in patients' charts, but the information needs to be specific. Where it's not uh, actually abiding by the standards, it's general and generic information that doesn't abide by the uh, standards of patient charting that's required. Doctors argue, though, it's not generic information. It's a specific note tied to specific cases. The bylaw, according to the College of Physicians and Surgeons, says there must be a clear record of specifics of any treatment, recommendation, medication, and follow-up plan. But are staff shortages considered specifics of treatment? leaving questions on whether it's time to rewrite the rules and have clearer guidelines. And while the majority of ER physicians were involved in the chart controversy, they say only a handful of the doctors are being investigated, wondering if this is an intimidation tactic. Kamel Karamali, Global News. More now on the president and CEO of Fraser Health defending operations at Surrey Memorial while also admitting, yes, there are staffing issues that need to be addressed. Richard Zussman has that part of the story.
It's an emergency room on life support with concerns swirling about Surrey Memorial Hospital. Fraser Health President Dr. Victoria Lee has one message. If I found myself in need of emergency care, I would not hesitate to go to Surrey Memorial. Lee speaking publicly for the first time since new concerns were raised by frontline doctors. Ensuring patients, Fraser Health is reviewing the staffing situation to provide high standards of quality of care. Every time there's a quality concern or safety concern, what we do is go through a patient safety quality review. And every time that happens, we unveil lessons learned recommendations. Lee had denied that patients died or suffered negative outcomes due to delays in care but now reveals some cases are being given a second look. There's been questions about some of those areas and we are reopening some of those areas to ensure that there are no questions that remain in terms of are there any deaths or adverse events. Emergency room doctors at Surrey Memorial were so concerned about staffing and delays, they posted information for patients. They say those posters were taken down. It's important to ensure that that information is accurate and that information is provided in a systematic way. Fraser Health and other health authorities have been accused of pressuring staff not to speak out publicly about the conditions in hospitals. But Health Minister Adrian Dix and Dr. Lee says any staff that speak out will not be reprimanded. I'm very proud of their right to be active participants in the debate, and that goes both ways. There are channels that are available uh, multiple ways and no recommend, uh, there hasn't been any recommend of staff or medical staff around speaking up about the concerns. The list of concerns grows longer by the day and those on the front line say time is critical and they need emergency action. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Nurses in Prince George took to the streets to say they're also understaffed and overwhelmed. More than a dozen nurses expressed their frustration at what they call a crisis at University Hospital of Northern BC. They say it's common for the hospital to operate over capacity, especially when patients are sent to Prince George from surrounding communities when their emergency rooms close. That leaves patients in hallways waiting to be moved into rooms and they are calling for more nurses at UHNBC. Well, the province is promising it'll eventually build a new cancer care center in Kamloops. Health Minister Adrian Dix traveled to Royal Inland Hospital to announce the cancer center plan has been approved. The next step is to finish the business case. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, critics are skeptical. It has been promised on more than one occasion, but never built. Thursday, the health minister was back in Kamloops announcing preliminary plans for a new cancer centre set to open in 2027. We need uh, to distribute cancer care service around the province. It's why we're building and in the process of building four new cancer centres. Not only will the new cancer centre provide new radiation treatment options, it will also build up the capacity we need to keep up with the increasing demand for cancer care the project, promised in 2020 by the NDP, is three years later still light on details. According to the minister, it is set to include three linear accelerators, a CT simulator and an MRI scanner, as well as expanded outpatient care. But the cost at this point is just an estimate. These projects typically cost uh, a new cancer centre between 200 
and $300 million. The detailed amount will come out in the business plan. But the announcement comes a little more than a week after the government made the decision to send potentially hundreds of patients to Bellingham for radiation therapy. According to Kamloops opposition MLAs, this project was promised by Premier Horkin to be completed in 2024. And a minimum delay of three more years means thousands of cancer patients will be forced to go elsewhere for treatment. Uh, there's no diagrams, there's no drawings, there's no idea of scale and scope. The minister said it's in the budget, it's not in the budget. The regional hospital board is welcoming the news of expanded oncology care in Kamloops, but wary as successive governments have made all kinds of promises. For now, and into the foreseeable future, cancer patients in Kamloops still leaving their community for treatment. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Police are investigating the tragic death of a 15-year-old girl who was found barely alive on Vancouver Island earlier this month. North Cowich and Duncan RCMP say May 15th, the girl was found in a semi-conscious state under what are being called suspicious circumstances near the Trans-Canada Highway on the outskirts of Duncan. The teen was taken to hospital but didn't survive. According to posts on social media, she'd been missing for 26 hours prior to her death. Police say toxicology analysis and other medical examinations are underway to determine the circumstances that surround her death. Cowichan Tribes has confirmed the teen had ties with the First Nation and are encouraging anyone with information to please contact police. There's a way to report online to the RCMP, to phone, whatever you feel comfortable with. We need all of the community to reach out and provide whatever support and information you have. And, and I just plead for that on behalf of the family and the community in this time. Cowichan Tribe says the news is triggering for members of the First Nation, particularly women, and it is ensuring everyone is being offered support. Vancouver police are revealing details of a big drug bust this morning, the result of a year-long two-phase investigation into organized crime in the city. Police say they seized 73 kilograms of MDMA, 14 kilograms of fentanyl, along with cocaine, meth, guns and money, all of it worth around $13 million. Investigators say two men and two women are arrested and facing numerous drugs and firearms charges. In total, for Project Torque, investigators have now seized over 200 kilograms of drugs worth an estimated $13 million. Our investigators are committed to combating organized crime groups operating in Vancouver, especially those that seek to profit from manufacturing and supplying toxic drugs, as we appreciate these substances are inexplicably linked to our ongoing overdose death crisis. Project Torque is a program focused on crime groups manufacturing and trafficking illicit drugs. Six years after it was rejected, a controversial Chinatown condo project has new life with a number of legacy groups now backing the project. Jasmine Bala has more on the 105 Kiefer proposal and why it's been so divisive. A protest in the heart of Chinatown. The future of this land at the center of the issue. We would like to see 100% social housing. 105 Kiefer Street is up for development. Right now, it's a parking lot, but soon it could be a nine-story condo 
with 111 units, retail on the ground floor, and three levels of underground parking. But protesters say there's something missing. Do you think there needs to be more social housing? Yeah, yeah. Connie Chang is 70 years old and has been living in social housing near Chinatown for one month. She can't afford anything else. And before that, she was in an SRO where she says conditions were poor. She experienced really big change. So good change? How yeah. How did that be? Yeah. Different. But social housing isn't part of the developer's proposal. It's the same plan that was rejected by the city in 2017 and in 2014 before that. But late last year, a B.C. Supreme Court judge ordered the board to take another look at the proposal. Now it has another shot to come to life. In a statement, Beattie says the project will provide many benefits for Vancouver's Chinatown, especially given the focus on revitalizing the neighborhood since the Development Permit Board's decision in 2017, and says it remains committed to working with our neighbors and community partners on a safe and vibrant Chinatown. Neighbors like the Vancouver Chinatown Business Improvement Association Society. I think that's great to be our neighbor. The BIA, along with six other legacy cultural, social, housing and business organizations that operate in Chinatown, support the proposal. Having people on the street, having people living in the neighborhood is, is, uh, creates vibrancy, creates street activity. And, and Chinatown is one of the few neighborhoods that doesn't really have a, a strong uh, residential base. When it comes to social housing, Ng says that is something they're actively pushing for. But the city has the final say at Monday's Development Permit Board meeting. Jasmine Bala, Global News. Eating healthy has never been harder. The new reality for anyone doing the grocery shopping these days, high nutrition foods have high prices. The financial and physical hit that has on families, next on the News Hour. An arson suspect caught on video. What Richmond RCMP want you to know about it. Plus, 27 years in business. I don't want to see it disappear. There will be soup for you after all. North Vancouver's beloved Soupmeister is coming back with a twist. And we'll have that a little bit later. Right now, though, the BC Centre for Disease Control is warning the cost of eating healthy is climbing out of reach for many families. The CDC crunched the numbers for food prices from around the province. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, it found many families simply can't afford to make the most nutritious choices. A food delivery, but not enough. The shelves are bare at the Surrey Food Bank, a stressful situation for those who access it and who work there. The demand is through the roof, and unfortunately for us, our donations are down at the same time, so our donations are down by 30%, which means that we're not getting in uh, the food donations that we normally would. It's much the same at Mission Possible, where food deliveries are quickly snatched up as food costs soar. I haven't been able to buy new clothes because I need to eat. Mike Gosling is on disability and works part-time at Mission Possible to be able to afford food and rent for himself. The amount of money that we get on disability is more than regular welfare, but it's way below the poverty level. To see how much grocery money British Columbians are forking over, the BCCDC went shopping for 61 nutritious items. They found the average monthly cost of their healthy food basket for a family of four in BC in the months of May and June in 2022 was 1,263. 
Here's what the average monthly cost is in health regions around the province. In Northern Health, 1,300. Island Health, 1,366. Interior, 1,264. Vancouver Coastal Health at 1,311. And in Fraser Health, it was $1,193. In the report, we really drive home that food insecurity is really an income issue and that we really have to look at those root causes of what causes people to be able to eat a healthy diet uh, and address those through system level changes. Food security has been a challenge in BC for quite a while, but global inflation has made it so much harder for people to get food on the table. And we've been hearing this in every corner of the province and in every report that comes out. The province adds they're supporting food banks and farmers, but that's little comfort for those who are just wanting to have some food to eat now. Jennifer Palma, Global News. And the BCSPCA is making an appeal for pet food bank donations because demand is increasing while donations shrink. The SPCA says inflation and housing insecurity are to blame. The Animal Rescue Organization helps hundreds of four-legged families every week with pet food supply. In 2022, the BCSPCA provided 532,000 meals through its pet food banks. Last year at this time, we had about 139 partner organizations that we work with. Um, and we, we work with these organizations by providing them pet food that we purchase. And then we give them this pet food that they can then distribute in their own community. Having Charlie's Food Bank is a big help because it provides with food and it helps you if, you're, if your dog is ill. It provides you with bed and um, it really makes a difference in the low-income society. In addition to partnering with various organizations, the BCSPCA also gives financial help to owners who have to spay or neuter their pets. After a few months of lower prices, you've probably noticed prices at the pump are once again on the rise. Overnight, the price for a liter of regular gas climbed by about 10 cents a liter. And as Safia Parani reports, it's just the first of what's expected to be a string of increases. This season to be out and about is officially here. And if you're driving around, it could be an expensive summer. Thursday morning, gas prices saw a significant jump across the lower mainland, some nearing the $2 mark. Analysts say it's not just a Metro Vancouver issue, but across North America, tight supply and high demand and looming debt concerns from across the border. If, for instance, there is some kind of an agreement uh, among uh, uh, politicians in the United States to, uh, you know, to curtail or to avoid the debt ceiling, watch out because prices will rocket as much as 10 to 15 cents a litre over a very short period of time. If they don't come to an agreement, and in fact there is going to be a default by next Wednesday, then look for prices to drop as much as 10 to 15 cents a litre overnight. Uh, it's just that serious and we're really on a knife's edge. We might sell our car and transit and then just rent a car for a road trip um, just to sort of reduce costs. I feel that gas prices are putting people under undue hardship that are already having difficulties in these hard times. It's hard, but we make do somehow, some way. For now, we're set to see an increase overnight and then a drop in price for Saturday. But depending on what plays out in the U.S., we could see prices well over the $2 mark for majority of the summer. Safia Parani, Global News. Just ahead, the problem with purchasing a used vehicle. And I think a lot of people don't know this is going on. The big surprise this buyer got when he went to pay the sales tax. Plus, people get into the sector 
decide they don't like being landlord. Buyers remorse for real estate investors now struggling to cover their costs. Last October, the government changed the tax rules on privately purchased vehicles, and you might be surprised by how much that influences what you pay in sales tax. It certainly surprised one buyer who contacted Consumer Matters. Reporter Andrew is here with more. Anne. Thanks, Chris. The mileage of a vehicle is one of the first things people consider when purchasing a used vehicle. Some car experts say it's a main factor of a vehicle's worth. But when it comes to the province of B.C. calculating the PST on vehicles purchased privately, you might be surprised to hear a vehicle's exact odometer reading isn't considered. When Justin Long purchased this 2018 Toyota Tacoma through a private sale, he says he was excited. But his excitement quickly turned to frustration when he went to register his truck and pay the PST. He purchased the Tacoma for $33,000, but Justin says when he went to his insurance broker, he was told the vehicle was valued at over $36,000. It didn't make any sense to me. In B.C., purchasers of a vehicle in a private sale must pay 12% PST at the time of registration. The PST is calculated on either the purchase price or the Canadian Black Book average wholesale value, whichever is greater. In Justin's case, he had to pay PST on $36,433, which equated to over $4,000 in PST. But even more upsetting, Justin says, the exact mileage of his vehicle, which was over 183,000 kilometers, was never part of the equation. When you show up at the counter at your broker to pay the PST tax, you don't know what's going on on that software screen. The province uses the Black Book average wholesale which includes information like year, make, model, trim, and average mileage to determine the vehicle's value. But confirmed to Consumer Matters, it does not use the vehicle's exact odometer mileage reading. However, a buyer or seller can get an appraisal of a vehicle if it's believed the actual value is less than the average wholesale value. Justin did just that, paying out of his own pocket to get an appraisal. But I'm losing over $100 that I should not have to spend in the first place. I might even have been happy with the ICBC valuation if they had correctly entered the odometer. Hotef Imam, owner of North Vancouver-based BC Auto Appraisals, appraised Justin's truck at $31,500, entering the truck's odometer reading into the system. He says he's shocked exact mileage isn't considered when calculating the PST. I personally think it's wrong. I think it's easy enough to input. Uh, I think it could save people a lot of time and money. BC's Minister of Finance declined an interview with Consumer Matters, but provided this statement. PST has always been payable on privately purchased new or used vehicles in BC, and this change brings us in line with other provinces. And goes on to say, revenue raised from PST supports important services people rely on, such as health care and education. Now with a new appraisal, potentially Justin will be refunded over $400. But he says he shouldn't have gone through what he describes as a complex and timely process. And Justin says he would encourage every buyer doing a private sale to spend the extra money and get the vehicle appraised. The province says an appraisal can be provided at the time of registration or up to 30 days afterwards. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Anne. 
Now, buying revenue property has been a priority for a lot of young investors, but with the cost of mortgages climbing higher than we've seen in decades, new data suggests a lot of landlords are thinking of selling. Global's Anne Gaviola has more. Young landlords have benefited from red-hot rental markets across the country and until the last year, low costs on mortgages. But now many are struggling to cover higher borrowing costs and are rethinking their investment. People get into the sector, decide they don't like being landlords, and they get out. Or they overestimate the return they're going to make on the property or underestimate the expenses. Royal LePage's new snapshot of real estate investment paints a picture of those invested. One in 10, or about 4.4 million, currently own an investment property, according to an online poll. A third own two or more properties, and multiple property owners are more likely to be aged 34 and under than older than 35. The stock market has been a tough place, a lot of negative returns. And so people are looking at the real estate market and saying, you know, that might be a better place for my investment. But more than 30% of investment property owners are considering selling because of higher lending rates, especially those in Toronto, Vancouver and Montreal. New data from the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation shows residential mortgage debt hit a record $2.08 trillion in January. That is up 6% in a year. And there's news this week that Canadian household debt has eclipsed GDP and is the highest among G7 countries. This housing finance research expert says there's an uptick in mortgages in arrears. That does remain a potential vulnerability for our financial system. In our report, we're already seeing some early signs that some mortgage consumers may be under financial strain. Those looking to unload investment property need to consider the business case. Definitely speak with a, uh, an accountant to really understand, you know, how much is it going to cost you to sell and offload that property, not just in taxes, but what you're going to get after paying closing costs and whatnot. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. An alarming trend in firearms found in the Lower Mainland. What makes these guns so dangerous? Coming up, plus... We're going to cause potentially more harm than good. Why this addiction specialist is critical of the province's safe supply program. Richmond RCMP are releasing some shocking video of an arson attack on a home and they hope you can help identify the suspect. Take a look. It happened in the early morning of March 27th. A surveillance camera captures a man pouring a flammable liquid on the front door of the home in the 4100 block of Bryson Place. Luckily, residents of the home were able to put it out very quickly before it spread or did any major damage. Police say the suspect might be associated with a dark sedan, either a Toyota Corolla or possibly a Hyundai that was spotted in the area. So if you can identify the man, please contact Richmond RCMP. In an unusual twist, police are revealing the presence of 3D printed guns on the Lower Mainland. They now laid criminal charges after CFSEU officers executed search warrants at several homes in the Fraser Valley back in 2021. Inside one of those homes, they found a firearm manufacturing lab that used 3D printers. Drugs were also seized from the home. 33-year-old Tyson Santola is now facing several charges. And here's a shocking thought, human trafficking in British Columbia. But police say it is here, and it's in Kelowna, one of the cities where it's happening. And a Canadian country artist is raising awareness about it. Paul Brandt 
has made it his mission to warn people about human trafficking and the sexual exploitation of youth here in Canada. Police say Kelowna has been identified as one destination within a known human trafficking circuit. The moment I knew that I could no longer sit idly by and do nothing was while I, I was on a trip in Southeast Asia. I met a five-year-old little girl who was being sold six to eight times a night. Human trafficking is a, a low-risk, high-profit business. That's what it is, $180 billion a year globally. When we know about it as a community, we change that to being a high-risk, low-profit business. We make traffickers' lives difficult, and we protect children. Brandt has launched an initiative called Not In My City, hoping to educate people on how to recognize signs of human trafficking. Kelowna Airport is the ninth airport in Canada to partner with the program. More than 600 staff have been trained to know what to look for and how to identify potential human traffickers. A BC doctor is coming forward with some shocking concerns about the government's safe supply drug program that gives free hydromorphone to addicts. As Paul Johnson reports, he believes the program might actually be making the problem worse. A young guy came in to see me. Uh, he said he was looking for help. He had been obtaining uh, hydromorphone from somebody who was getting it from Safe Supply. Surrey addiction specialist Dr. Alan Brookstone says so far he's seen four patients who've become addicted to diverted Safe Supply opioids. And he worries we're potentially only seeing the tip of an iceberg. What I've seen is that the market, or not the market, but, but it's essentially the environment, has been completely flooded with these powerful opioid tablets. In the face of skyrocketing overdose deaths, two years ago, the province issued guidelines telling doctors to write prescriptions for hydromorphone, also known as Dilaudid, with the hope that users would take those pills instead of far deadlier fentanyl. Brookstone was skeptical and never went for the plan. And from what he's seen and heard from patients, he's glad he didn't. My initial reaction was, oh my God, what is going on over here? You know, we're, we're, we're going to cause potentially more harm than good. Both the federal and provincial governments have defended the safe supply program, saying they've seen no evidence that Dilaudid is being diverted in worrying numbers or is causing death. But on Thursday, we asked Mental Health and Addictions Minister Jennifer Whiteside about Dr. Brookstone's worry that it's fueling new addiction. Here's what she said. I know that frontline physicians are certainly uh, where they become aware of that, uh, making adjustments in the, the, the clinical protocols that they have in place with their, with their patients. Other frontline doctors have shared similar concerns with Global News, but declined to go public over a fear of political blowback. With 13 years' experience in addiction, Brookstone says he feels compelled to come forward with what he's learned, that comprehensive treatment is the way forward, not a safe supply program that he says is unproven. It's potentially in the millions of tablets that have been released onto the street, and yet we're not seeing a reduction in numbers of the overdose deaths. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, soup fans rejoice. The wait is almost over. We have had such amazing feedback from people about having the shop reopen. North Vancouver's Soupmeister returns with fan favorites and something new.
And later in sports, an injury that looked a lot worse than it was. The highs and lows from a crucial Whitecaps win later. All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at the weather and uh, another beautiful day out there and the trend kind of continues. Yeah, we have no significant rain in the forecast as far as we can see right now, Chris, which is uh, great news, I know, for some people, but not great news when it comes to the forest fire situation. We have a number of lightning strikes in through the interior region. No severe thunderstorm watches or warnings in effect, and I am expecting this to die down over the next hour or so, but they'll pick up again tomorrow afternoon. I wanted to show you this graph just to give you a perspective when we're talking about the snowpack and how it has an impact on the amount of water that we have in our reservoirs as we head into the summer months. This this is the blue line showing our current year. This is just giving you an example of one mountain, but it looks like that's a trend across many mountains across the south, uh, across southern BC, whereas this green line is last year. So in terms of the snow melt, although we're not done with it just yet, we are a good month ahead of last year's melt. So where we may have the melt uh, com or the snow completely gone in June of this year, it may have been completely gone in July. And that has a huge impact in terms of how much more moisture is coming down into the reservoirs as we especially head towards the end of the summer months. So you may want to uh, maybe take a shorter shower next uh, tomorrow morning if you can. A weak front will push across the north coast bringing periods of rain. We have isolated thunderstorms possible in through the interior regions. That cloud cover will shift into the south coast on Saturday and we will see cooler conditions on Saturday. But first of all for our day on Friday it will be a hot one. 25 to 26 degrees in the southern interior. Again that slight risk risk of an isolated shower or thunderstorm. That potential, by the way, of thunderstorms is in through the Fraser Valley for tomorrow afternoon as well. But 22 to 27 degrees expected. A hot and sunny Friday, that's for sure. A little cooler and more comfortable as we head into the weekend, uh, but plenty of sunshine. And as I mentioned, no significant rain in the forecast tonight. Central Windows weather window coming to you from a Soyuz. Uh, Melissa sharing us this a beautiful double rainbow. Look, it just lit up the area. Unbelievable. Thanks so much for that. Uh, uh, Melissa, that's a brilliant shot. Oh, great. Chris, back to you. Wow. The Soyuz is beautiful at the best of times, but that is really next level. All right, Squire joins us now with a look at sports. Yes, the Vancouver Whitecaps will get to defend their Canadian Championship trophy after they beat Pacific FC of Victoria last night. Following this speech, I want you to concentrate it to the fantastic memory of last year. Well, they did, but there was a scary moment in this game as well, and we will tell you that whole story. All right, look forward to that. Thanks, Squire. Also ahead. Being a long-standing institution, I, I feel a lot of pressure. I, I feel they're very big shoes to fill. A much-loved soup spot in North Vancouver lives on under new management and a fresh outlook. I had to reach down and drop the, or pick up the pick pen. Pick up my, my pen, yeah. I can't, I can't work without my talking stick here, so. Are you ready? No, you got it. Yep. There we go. So last night, the Vancouver Whitecats put themselves in the Canadian soccer final for the second year in a row because 
They beat Pacific FC at Victoria in the semifinal 3-0. It was most definitely a game of highs and lows. The high, of course, was winning. That's obvious. The low was when Ali Ahmed was stretchered off the field with what turned out to be a concussion. But for a while, it looked a lot worse than that. Only minutes after scoring this goal to make it 2-0 for the Whitecaps, Ali Ahmed suffered his devastating injury, an awkward fall while running at top speed. But when a player is surrounded by medical personnel for 17 minutes before being taken off the field to hospital, it sends a shock through all the players and all the coaches because nobody really knew at that point what his condition was. It was very scary, guys. It was really, 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 really upsetting. And, uh, you know, when you see doctors arriving and talking about, hey, don't move his neck. Uh, for a while, uh, he wasn't responding. So, yeah, we were a little bit, uh, well, more than a little bit. We were very... Uh, scared. For the rest of the first half, the Whitecaps were understandably not as focused. Not until they found out Ahmed would be okay, and Vanny gave them this speech. I know it's uh, it's uh, it's hard to focus on this thing when one of our friend is uh, is in the hospital. I know, I know. Don't 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 think that we don't know, because I know. But. Luckily he's okay, luckily he's recovering, and if we can make him happy even more winning the game, let's do it, okay? Let's go. And the Whitecaps did add one more goal in the second half by Simon Betcher to seal the win. Best of all, though, Ali Ahmed was allowed to fly back to Vancouver with his teammates. I think anybody would be lying if they said it was easy to just jump back into it. Um, obviously you want to keep, you know, focus on the task at hand, which is, you know, getting the result. But at the end of the day, you know, this game doesn't mean a lot when it comes to, you know, a lot of things in life. Now, Ali Ahmed sent out a message today thanking all the medical personnel at Starlight Stadium last night, also all the well-wishers he got, and he said he'll be back to the Whitecaps very soon. Now, the win means the Caps will host the Canadian final. It'll be against CF Montreal June 7th at BC Place. Vancouver wanted to keep this trophy badly. Maybe Vanny can take off his shirt again like he did last year and roll around on the carpet. Uh, before last night's game, he certainly left no doubt how important keeping this cup is to the Whitecaps. I want you to concentrate it to the fantastic memory of last year. Eh? The memory when Tristan started to win the cup. The, me the, the memory when Rusty lift the cup high because we are champions again. And I also want for the guys who weren't there last year to be part of it this year. But in order to do this, we need to win this game. Because then, when we go home for the final, the cup is ours, okay? So we go out today. We kill them. We destroy them. We win and we go to the final. I'm ready. I'm fired up now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have a game to play, but I want to go out there and win something. Uh, now, every time an NHL team wins its conference and gets the conference trophy, we all wait to see if they're going to touch it. And if they don't touch it, they will carry on one of the dumbest superstitions in sports. Now, last night, the Florida Panthers touched the Prince of Wales trophy. I have photographic evidence right beside me. That's for winning the Eastern Conference. Now, the tradition of not touching it should never have gone past the first time it happened back in 1997. That's when Eric Lindros refused to touch the Wales Trophy when he was captain of the Flyers, and they lost to Detroit in four straight games in the final, and the Wings did touch 
the Campbell Conference Trophy. So why continue the tradition? But last night, Florida captain Alexander Barkov picked it up, took it to the dressing room, because teams that have touched it have won more than teams that have not touched it in the Stanley Cup final. Anyway, if you touch it, you usually win. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, Canada-Finland at the quarterfinals today at the World Hockey Championships. Uh, first goal of the game for Canada, Jack Quinn with the move. And that one does sneak in. One more look as Canada takes a 1-0 lead against Finland. And then Sammy Blaze scored what proved to be the winning goal here. Canada got good goaltending again from Sam Montembeau of the Montreal Canadiens. And they will play Latvia Saturday in the semifinal. Yes, Latvia. Backstop by Abbotsford Canucks goalie Artur Silov. You can see he still has the Canucks mask. He was making saves today, and they were playing at home in Riga against Sweden. This was a huge upset. Mix Indrasis scores a beautiful goal here to make it 2-1 in the third period. And Silov and Latvia are going to the semifinal against Canada. There you go. I like how the Skoda SUV has great seats. It right always there. does. It always does. Right? If you drive a Skoda to the World Hockey Championships, they give you a great parking Prime spot. Parking. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. North Vancouver's beloved Soupmeister has a nephew who's stepping in to serve up tradition. That's next. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Lots going on tonight. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, rechargeable batteries are being blamed for another fire in Vancouver. It's a growing problem. In fact, half of Vancouver's fire deaths last year were attributed to rechargeable battery fires. We'll look into that tonight. Plus, expect noise and road closures in downtown Vancouver tomorrow from 7 a.m. until noon. And the following Friday, a helicopter will be replacing some signage on a high-rise. Which streets to avoid at 11? Chris. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. Now, for nearly three decades, people in North Vancouver have been flocking to the Soupmeister. But its future was in doubt with the death of the well-loved soup chef who ran it. But in a twist that will warm your heart and your stomach, the chef's nephew is stepping up, knowing he has a big ladle to fill. Jay Durant has the story on This Is B.C. Evan Paul has been on a shopping spree as he gets set to reopen a very well-known restaurant in North Vancouver. The legacy of the Soupmeister wasn't going to carry on was really disappointing to the family and Evan just came out of left field. For 27 years, Evan's late uncle, Ralph Downs, built a loyal following in Lonsdale Key. You'd have a lineup back back to here uh, uh, of people. You'd be just going through the cooler with about 15 other people just looking for soups. I grew up in a winery in a small village in Germany. Late last year, Downs lost his battle with cancer. Friends, family, and former employees shared many great memories at a celebration of life. He was a really approachable man. He had a really crazy sense of humor. He was hilarious. Seinfeld and the no soup for you, you know, everybody, even customers loved that. This may not seem like a natural career change for a man who served in the Canadian Armed Forces for nearly 18 years. But Evan has a lot of experience in the kitchen. I've always had a passion for cooking, but it really stems from my grandma. My grandma was a great home cook. And I remember one day I was watching a cooking show on TV and my grandma came in and said, turn that off and come help me cook. Ralph's recipes were all in his head, but a former employee managed to write most of them down before he died to carry on his legacy. I always wanted to have my own business. I don't want to see it disappear. I, I want to keep it in the family. 
With a few personal tweaks to the flavors and a slight twist to the name, he hopes locals will be lining up again for a hot bowl at the new stand, simply called the Soup Meister's Nephew. Being a long-standing institution, I, I feel a lot of pressure. I, I feel they're very big shoes to fill. 27 years so far, and hopefully another 27 under my belt. Jay Durant, Global News. Uh, good for him, and we're wishing you all the luck in the world. Know someone who has a great story to tell or something you want to share with the rest of us? Just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, you're going to want maybe a gazpacho or something. That's a cold soup, isn't it? Stay cool over the next few days, Christy. That's exactly right. I would recommend heading down to the grocery store and getting an old school ice cream cone over the next mm -hmm. few days, especially tomorrow. It's going to be hot. Uh, human X values away from the water could be approaching 30 degrees. At least we're getting relief uh, from the heat at night this time of year. That feels nice. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Thanks, Squire, and thanks everybody for watching. Have a great night.